0: And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the Plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call.
1: Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Wednesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Street, I'm JJ Jackson with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry on today's program. What a fun show we've got for you today. A lot of conversations to be had. We've got Wacky Wednesday topics a little bit later in the hour. Bo Estes and Hale McGranahan will be a part of our program. Tons to get into on today's show and we thank you so much for making Sports Call your first listen every afternoon. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy and Cam Berry with me on the show today. Guys, how are we?
2: Doing well. Uh, Just um, uh, saw practice a little bit earlier today and uh, starting the uh, the access has been really good this year, uh, for sure. It's something Ferg talked about yesterday, and um, I think the quarterbacks are looked a little better today. They've not been looking good uh, the last couple of days. Um, very interesting. To, very interesting to continue to f- uh, follow that, um, but uh, still three to four, you know, four weeks out. Uh, Got to work through the whole competition, and I know they'll have a scrimmage on Saturday, which will hopefully narrow down. Uh, the candidates a, a little bit here. Uh, but doing well otherwise, um, pretty epic Braves game last night. It was fun to watch. Uh, unfortunately for Atlanta, they're, the New York is getting too far gone at this point. But um, just uh, keeping track of everything. Again, like I said, excited to do these previews again. Had a fun time talking a little bit about Tennessee and Arkansas yesterday, two teams that figured to be pretty good this year. Talk about two teams that are – uh, trying to continue their upward uh, direction in Mississippi State and South Carolina coming off uh, the seasons that they had last year. Both I believe both won seven games ultimately last year. Um, at least Mississippi State did. I, I can't remember if it's six or seven for South Carolina. But um, trying to uh, preview all these teams and should be exciting and, and looking forward to it.
1: Big show coming up today on the program. Again, we've got Bo Estes from NBA TV and NBA.com on the program at 3.30. Hale McGranahan from South Carolina's 24-7 uh, sports website will be on the show. Our SEC previews continue. Gamecocks and Mississippi State Bulldogs coming up, and then we'll have some fun in the last hour of our program. Tom Peavy and Cam Barry are also here. Cam, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just... I would be a
3: lot better if we'd uh, gotten a win last night, but um, overall, you know, just a pretty pretty good day. Just kind of relaxing, went home and had lunch with the girlfriend, and uh, she cooked me a great lunch. And uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, the Braves last night got a good win, nice little bounce back win. See if they can continue that. Uh, you know, got a, a, de- a decently easy little stretch into this week, so um, you know, play the. I think the Marlins are last in our division. So, you know, hopefully we can get a – Nationals last, Marlins fourth, yeah. Marlins are fourth then, but still we kind of expect a sweep out of that um, would be uh, definitely ideal. Um, But, yeah, overall doing pretty good.
1: Tom, how
4: are you? Doing good. Uh, Yeah, it would have been nice to get a win last night with the Thunder Chickens, but eh, it is what it is. Uh, Braves, yeah, I mean, good win last night – Ryan mentioned that the Mets are kind of running away with things. Well, it looked like the Mets were running away with it early in the season, too. Uh, you also have to remember the Braves and the Mets also have series against each other in Atlanta, so maybe the Braves can make some ground up there. Yep. Uh, and the Braves' schedule is supposedly – it's a lot easier than what the Mets are going to have to go through. So there, there is an opportunity for the Braves to, get, to gain some ground. They've got to keep winning games. But, I mean, the Mets are scorching red hot right now. And just don't look like a team that you want to face, especially with that pitching rotation uh, now healthy. But um, Thunder Chickens last night, yeah, I had the opportunity there in the first game, and uh, we just couldn't get it done. And, yeah, you know, it's what it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, other than that yeah doing great looking forward to Wacky Wednesday gonna be fun got got some stories for you guys gonna be fun at the end of the show
1: again we've got Bo Sc's on the program we've got birthdays in sports we're gonna have our South Carolina and Mississippi State previews Hale McGranahan joins Sports Call as well. 334-887-3401 if you would like to call in and be a part of our show. As all of our Sports Call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. Visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, equal housing lender. As we go to our phone lines for the first time during today's show and joining us, On the program is
0: James from Montgomery.
1: James has called into today's program. Hi there, James.
0: Hello, War Eagle.
1: War Eagle to you, sir.
5: Yeah, I am so excited. I'm actually counting down the days to the uh, preseason of week one, and I am going to see um, all of the preseason of week one. I'm going to actually see the first week and the second week of uh, these both preseason games. Uh, tomorrow, so I'm actually going to see uh, what Marcus Mariota is actually going to do for the Atlanta Falcons for his uh, first time as being an Atlanta Falcons uh, quarterback as well.
1: Big preseason debut coming up on Friday against the Detroit Lions, so that will be entertaining.
5: Yeah, so I'm just going to see um, some, some great guys I'm actually going to be looking for to put in my draft board, so I'm going to be, you know, looking at some uh, wide receivers and maybe a couple of tight ends I might be looking at and um seeing if I'll if I'll actually come out on top when the um when the regular season actually kicks off on September the eighth.
1: That's absolutely the goal to come out on top and we're hoping that you're gonna be able to do that this year, James.
5: Yes, as well because this will be my first time ever uh, playing fantasy football this year as well. So I'm just um you know getting a lot of um a lot of different um of uh fantasy football uh insights from um, you know different quarterbacks and wide receivers I might be looking for, for my uh for my fantasy draft and seeing if I'm all uh come out on top as well.
1: That's the goal always, each and every year. You want to find a way to come out on top. Tell me something else on your mind.
5: Well I'm actually getting ready for Auburn football actually seeing what uh what T.J. Finley is actually going to be doing for us when we actually play against Mercer University at home. Do you think we might have a chance of winning at
1: home? Absolutely. Against Mercer? Yeah, you gotta like Auburn's chances to win that football game, brother.
5: Yes, because I am I am very excited and I just put in my pick on that game and it is on um I actually did a um a Auburn Poll and it actually came out 98% chance favorite for us to win week one of the 2022 opening season. So we have a 98 chance um, on the FCI ranking for Auburn to actually win week one against Mercy University as well. And it's going to be a really, really good blowout for Auburn this year.
1: That's why we're so excited to play that game because it feels like we got a good chance to win it, so it's going to be a fun one.
5: Yes, as well. And then with our second game that we're playing against, uh, I think it's San Jose State, that will be another win for Auburn actually, uh, to actually win at home. And uh, the third game that I'm actually going to be uh, screaming at the TV screen would be Auburn versus Penn State. So we haven't played... Penn State since last, I should say since last week, but with these two teams that are on paper historically, I think Auburn might have a historic win against Penn State as well.
1: Yeah, you got to get revenge from last year. It wasn't quite last week that we played them, but we did play them last year at their place, and so hopefully we can get another win this season.
5: Yes, as well. And then with some of the other games I'm actually going to be looking at, because I know that you're all going to be talking about South Carolina. I think we do play South Carolina on our schedule, if I'm not mistaken. Not this that. year.
1: We've played them the past few seasons, but we do not play South Carolina this year.
5: Okay, so I think we play Mississippi, we play Mississippi State and Missouri this year. So I'm That is correct. Gonna, I'm actually going to be seeing uh, what Auburn is actually going to be doing when we go down to start Vegas and seeing if we're going to win that game as well. So I'm hoping it's going to be a good a good, uh, a good year for us this year.
1: It's going to be a tough environment. They love, James, they absolutely love ringing those cowbells and making it a very loud and scary environment. But you've got to be able to overcome all of that for Auburn to win. A lot of cowbells. Yeah.
6: Yes,
5: that's well because I remember when we actually when Mississippi State actually played in Jordan Harris Stadium, I could not even hear the calls being being made or the coach the coaches uh the quarterback making plays. I couldn't even hear myself think. I mean, it was like really it was hard for me to, you know, cheer on the Auburn Tigers to get them a win and it was Like it was giving me a a huge headache as well.
1: Because the cowbells were loud.
5: Yes, as well. So I think, I think probably in the near future, I think with those, uh, with a lot of different um, teams that have like different ways to actually, you know, support their, their team, I think Mississippi State should not have cowbells, you know, for their, for, their university as well.
1: I don't think they're going to like that. I think they love the fact that they're the only team with some cowbells. I think they kind of use that to their advantage. You know, I think uh, Auburn uses the fact, James, that we get to let an eagle fly above the stadium before time before the game. I think we use that to our advantage. And I, I think Mississippi State kind of does the same with those cowbells.
5: Yes, as well, because I did um, over the weekend, I know they were doing – on the SSP network. I know they were doing a lot of different history on different uh, universities as well. And when they actually came up, to Auburn uh, history, I think about the Eagle, it's pretty... I'll just probably leave that one for like a flashback Friday when, when I get that uh, history uh, taken care
1: of as well. So you're going to give us the history of the Eagle flight is what you're saying?
5: Yes, yeah, it's like the, the whole... Uh, prosonar of the of the whole thing that we that we've done over the years of um of the eagle flight and the the chant that we do of war eagle and I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give all of the auburn fans um a, a, a life lesson in in Auburn history as well
1: well that's outstanding that's outstanding Give us a few more thoughts today James what else you got?
5: Well, I'm actually right now watching the Little League World Series. So Isn't that so much see. fun? Yes, it is. It's very fun for me as a baseball fan to see young kids, you know, pursuing a good sport. And and the other day I was watching it and, you know, sportsmanship for, for little kids like that. It, it's just so amazing to see what, what goes on. And, and me as being a, a baseball fan, I've actually had a really heartwarming moment uh, yesterday of this uh, kid actually getting hit by, by a ball. And it, it really it really shows sportsmanship to these two uh, players that actually hug it out and, and you know, the other players that, that he was sorry that he did that, and, you know, that that was really amazing as well.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people loved that moment. The internet certainly did, and I'll tell you what, for these kids to be 11 or 12, I mean, 11 or 12 years old, and to be as talented as they are at baseball is really impressive. They're hitting home runs a long way, they're throwing the ball hard, they're getting strikeouts. I mean, 12 years old, James, and they're really impressive. We remember what it was like to be 12 years old, and yet they're out there doing it at the young age and being elite.
5: Yes, as well. And I'll probably see them, you know, when they get into the major league in their near future, I'll probably see them actually playing for some major league teams out there in the big leagues as well.
1: I'm sure that's their lifelong goal is to get to the big leagues. But they got a long way to go. They're only 12.
5: Yes, as well. So just I always tell a lot of uh, young kids, even – even my nieces and nephews I always tell them, just keep reaching for the stars. You may, you may, one day might be, you know, a good football player or a person that has their own cooking show. Just never give up on dreams. Always keep, always keep on trying. And um, if one door closes, another one will always open up for you as well. And I've actually taken, for me as a
1: 34 year old, I've taken that into consideration as well. That's a good advice. So wait, so you can either be, like you said, you're telling these kids, we can either be a football player or we can have a cooking show one day. Yes. There was like a yes. Disney Channel movie about that at one point, James, remember?
5: Yes, it was. It was actually uh, a good movie about that because when I look at some of these uh, kids actually produce, uh, you know, pursuing their lives and, and seeing what they're really, really inspired me as, you know, maybe one day if i do decide to have children one day uh you know i would like to you know keep my my um my motivational um positive motivation to a lot of uh young kids as well and older teens as well as you know as life goes on for them as well
1: how are you and marie doing
5: oh we actually split we actually broke up last couple of weeks so we actually split so i'm just you know, focus on me right now.
1: You're a single new man.
5: Yes, as well. So um, things are looking a little bit good for me as well.
1: You got any prospects out there?
5: Um, I'm actually going to leave that up to God and see what he might That's have. The right to do That's the right way to do it.
1: That's the right way to do it. You as got well. a good head on your shoulders. All right, give me something else, James. One more thought.
5: Well, I'm actually going to be uh, looking at... Uh, I'm actually going to be looking at some... Uh, NASCAR, so I'm actually going to be seeing um, what's going to be going on this week before the playoff spot as well, so I'm actually just trying to see uh, some new um, new drivers that are going to be making the playoff spot this week as well.
1: Yeah, Noah Gregson signed a new deal today. He's going to get a ride next year in the 42 yes. car.
5: Yes, I actually did see that. He is going to get a new deal for the uh I think it's uh, number forty two for Michael Jordan's uh team. So that will be in twenty twenty three. So that that's gonna be a really good uh fit for him as well. And then coming up in twenty twenty three for the first time ever in NASCAR history, they're actually adding a new track to the schedule.
1: Where is that?
5: They're actually doing a new track in Chicago, Illinois. They're actually turning the city of Chicago, and they're actually adding it to one of the uh, one of the uh, NASCAR um, tracks. Actually, it's going to be added in 2023, so it's going to be a really, really fun. Uh, it's going to be a really fun event, and it's going to be a little bit different because this is actually in the heart of Chicago, Illinois. So it's in the city of Chicago as well.
1: That's right. That's right. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Any final thoughts today, James?
5: Um, I don't have any final thoughts for you all, but maybe tomorrow I would like to have um, some Halloween movie trivia as well.
1: Yeah, we still owe you that. We'll give you that Halloween movie trivia coming up on tomorrow's show. And then remember, we don't have a show on Friday because of the Falcons game. So we'll talk to you tomorrow for the last time this week, okay?
5: All right, sounds good, and War
1: Eagle. War Eagle, indeed. That's our good pal James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. All right, time for our first time out of today's show. Alongside Tom PV Ryan the Boy in Cam Berry, my name is JJ Jackson. We're back in a moment.
0: Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. This is Jake Crane, host
3: of the J-Boy Show, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call.
1: All right, let's keep moving forward. Here on Albert's First and Shaver Favorite Sports Talk Show, JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan the Boy, Tom PV, and Cam Barry. Good phone call there from James a moment ago. Always fun to catch up with him. In just a few moments... Bo Estes from NBA TV and NBA.com will be a part of our program. So, we'll talk about a couple of Auburn guys making it into the league this year. Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler. What does Isaac Okoro's next season look like? Other big NBA offseason storylines we'll discuss with Bo Estes in just a little bit. We do this each and every day. What we need to do right now before that next timeout is celebrate our birthdays.
0: It's time for today's birthdays and sports.
1: Birthdays and sports here today, August 10th, 2022. Wilson Ramos is turning 35, an MLB catcher, two-time All-Star, 2016 Silver Slugger Award winner. He is currently a free agent, but has played for the Twins, Nationals, Rays, Phillies, Yet Mets, Tigers, and Indians. Wilson Ramos is 35 years old. Dalvin Cook, 27, current running back for the Minnesota Vikings. Selected 41st overall in the 2017 NFL Draft out of Florida State by the Vikings. Three-time Pro Bowler at Florida State. He was an All-American, two-time first-team All-ACC. Dalvin Cook turning 27 years old. Is he underappreciated?
3: I think think so. I think he's starting to get his recognition now, especially after last season. He kind of had a, a, I would say, a relatively breakout season uh, for him. He was considered one of the top running backs and definitely one of the best fantasy running backs um, so I think he's starting to get more recognition now.
1: I wonder if it's Kirk Cousins. You know, no, I, I don't know what it is. It's it's. Kirk I'm saying that because of Kirk Cousins, <laughs> you think of the str- You know what I'm saying? Like the Vikings haven't been great. Kind of the entire spot. offense. You just overlook yeah. everything. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, yeah. like Kirk Cousins has a good guy to hand the football off to. Right. I mean, they have
3: great receivers. You know, I mean, I don't. I mean, the the offense has always been pretty solid. I don't know. I, I've always thought that their issue relied on defense. So, well.
1: 27 years old today, Dalvin Cook. John Morant, 23, current point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. Wow, wow, wow. Second overall pick in the 2019 NBA draft out of Murray State. One-time All-Star. He was the most improved player this past year. At Murray State, he was a consensus first-team All-American, led the entire country in assists. And he has his number 12 jersey retired by Murray State. John Morant, only 23 years old today. He's a dog. That's a hooper. Uh, Matt Prater is 38 years old. He's a current kicker for the Arizona Cardinals. If you're 38 and still kicking, you're doing something right. He's a current kicker for the Arizona Cardinals. 2013 second-team All-Pro. Two-time Pro Bowler. Also played for the Falcons, Broncos, Lions. He holds the NFL record... For most fifty-plus yard field goals made in league history, Ryan, would you think that'd be Prater that holds that record yes, for most fifty? Yes, because 50? He,
2: he kicked in Denver for a while. The Denver ones do help. Not to take it yeah. away from him, but that altitude will always help, and Makes it uh, he he bombed sure. a lot uh, there, and, and he still can. I mean, again, he would be—he's got one of the strongest legs, period. But you know, it always just helps a little bit to be in that altitude, and. Uh, I've always considered him one of the most powerful kickers in the league. And, again, if you've kicked, like you, know, you said, 38, yeah. then he's obviously done it well and he's had a lot of opportunities to do it.
1: Absolute shout-out to Matt Prater, who's 38. And then our final birthday today, Ontario McCaleb, turning 33 years old, the former running back for the Auburn Tigers, a national champion with Auburn as they won the 2011 BCS National Championship game, honoring the 2010 season champ, Ontario McCaleb is 33 years old today. Our birthdays, Wilson Ramos, Dalvin Cook, John Morant, Matt Prater, and Ontario McCaleb. A timeout. Bo Estes joins us next on Sports Call.
0: May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen. Can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is what? My, my name is My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Sammy Coates, former Auburn football player and all SEC wide receiver. And you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: All right, welcome back into the program. This is Sports Call, WTGZ, Tiger 95.9 FM. The Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy an ice-cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. J.J. Jackson inside the studio alongside Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. And guys, we are so honored and thrilled to go to our Auburn Bank phone lines and bring on a new guest to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Bo S.C.s of NBA.com and NBA TV joins us here on the program today to talk a little round ball in the month of August. Bo, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you doing today, my friend?
7: Oh, it's good. Uh, always a little pressure to be named Bo and come on an Auburn broadcast. but yeah, yeah, I'm excited, guys.
1: Bo knows. We we certainly do know that, so you're right. I wouldn't have even put two and two together, but fair for you to bring that up, Bo.
7: Yeah, no, I, look, my name's Bo. I'm from the South, and I live in Los Angeles, so it's always good uh, to be back on the airwaves, back, you know, towards home and, and where I'm from and everything like that, so I appreciate you guys having me on today.
1: Well, we're certainly excited to talk about the league, and now we've got a couple of more faces for Auburn basketball in the association and it's funny to think about auburn historically in the nba it truly is just charles barkley and charles barkley alone that's really waving the flag for the auburn tigers and now we're getting a couple of more names there in the nba bo
7: yeah look i've worked with charles barkley for 20 years now down at turner sports uh more you know years ago than i do now but uh That's quite a name to have at the top of your flagpole in Charles (laughs) Barkley. Maybe the best personality we've ever had in the NBA. uh, And one of the great all-time players. But you're right. Uh, With Bruce Pearl there now, you guys are stacking folks up. Uh, I had a chance to interview Bruce Pearl years ago when he was at Tennessee. And he's just one of those guys that when you're around him, you feel that current of electricity that he exudes. So I can see why players love him, and I can see why they're having success. And when you got a guy like Jabari Smith, I mean, my gosh, that, that's a world-class talent that you're putting out in the NBA. And, look, if you're asking me, he was the number one prospect out there. A the team's picked for different reasons. Everybody's got a different opinion. But Jabari's just a tremendous talent, in my view.
1: We can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do at the next level. The third overall pick, highest ever. In the history of Auburn basketball, and that includes somebody by the name of Charles Barkley, as we're discussing... But you look at the Auburn Tigers, and and, and in the Bruce Pearl era, we've had Chuma Okiki a few years ago as a first-round selection, Isaac Okoro a few seasons back, and now two more first-round picks in Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. And, And, Bo, you think this is a lot of Bruce Pearl being able to kind of market and showcase Auburn basketball a little bit, recruit top talent, get them in the doors, and develop them for the next level? Is that why we're seeing such a rise in NBA players?
7: Absolutely. He's an incredible salesman. He's also a really good game coach. It's not just that he's a great recruiter; he can do it all. So, look, I I am a Bruce Pearl fan. You know, I I happen to work with his daughter uh, over at Turner Sports, but like, I I just think he's an incredible talent, uh, and people want to be around that guy. So, I think you know, as long as as Bruce Pearl is putting on an Auburn polo, you guys are going to be in good shape uh, as far as basketball town. The other thing that Auburn is really fortunate about is consider where they're located. I mean, you guys are really close to Atlanta, where there is just a mountain of talent that comes out of that city every year, and Auburn is beating Georgia to recruit those kids. So as long as that's happening, and I think if Bruce Pearl's there, that's going to happen a lot, you guys are going to be in good shape. Auburn really is well-positioned to succeed, and you know, I don't know how often you're going to get a Jabari Smith talent. Very few teams have that, uh, but... You know, to, to put year in and year out guys that are, you know, kicked at number 10, number 15, number 20, that means that you're going to be a top quality college program as well.
2: And, Bo, let's talk about Jabari Smith because we, going into draft night, everyone kind of felt that Jabari Smith would be the number one overall pick to Orlando. And it turns out that Orlando was kind of keeping their cards to themselves and then ultimately took Paulo Bancaro. So Jabari goes down to three with Houston. What is that fit with him, he and and Jalen Green in Houston? And what do you think of the player that Jabari Smith could ultimately become?
7: Well, two things on that. First of all, I think that uh, Jabari Smith's fit in Houston is wonderful because I don't think – He's going to have a mountain of pressure on him. I think as long as Jalen Green is there, Jalen Green is going to be the leading scorer on that team. I think that Jalen Green is that sort of a talent as far as scoring. I think he and Anthony Edwards and guys like that are going to compete for the league's lead in scoring in the next five years, and that's who it's going to be. Uh, I think Jabari can be right there, though. And one of the things that Jabari did uh, at Summer League, and I was out there at Summer League, his shot wouldn't fall particularly early on, But his defense was terrific. So he's going to immediately bring some stuff defensively. Now, I'm not going to tell you that he's a defensive player because he's an offensive star in my mind. He's got superstar potential. Uh, But I think that, you know, the fact that there's a guy that's that young that was struggling in summer league in front of the world and goes out there and really performed on the defensive end when a shot wasn't falling, that tells me something about the mentality of the kid. The other thing I'll tell you is I was there – in the arena for that first game when he went up against Paolo. And the thing I'll tell you is that you could just see physically Paolo is more mature than Jabari. He's just a lot stronger already. The thing I'll say about that, though, is I think Jabari will catch up in that regard. And when he does, look out. That's that's the next thing that I think that I would expect from Jabari.
2: And then also want to get your thoughts on the other first-round pick from Auburn uh, this year, Walker Kessler. Of course, he's kind of had it rough a little bit he's been bouncing around the teams already he's worn a couple different hats already now it winds up in Utah uh, and of course you know interesting opportunity I feel like Bo because uh, you follow a guy like Rudy Gobert has been the best best defensive center in the league for several years yep. and that's going to be difficult but because Rudy Gobert is gone I, I figure Bo that Walker Kessler's for for the slot that he was taking is probably going to get a pretty good chance at some significant playing time
7: Well, you're right. And like I said with Jabari Smith, I think Walker Kessler finds himself in a really good spot because he's not going to have a ton of pressure. Once Utah sent Rudy Gobert out, they're basically saying we're changing our expectations now and looking towards the future. And Walker Kessler now has an opportunity to earn the right to be a part of that future. And you mentioned Rudy Gobert. I mean, Walker Kessler has a lot of the same skills that Rudy Gobert has, Walker Kessler is incredibly long. Uh, until you see him in person, you don't know how long this guy really is. And so that sort of matches up with Rudy Gobert. He's also a, a really gifted shot blocker. He's not just calling long. He's a gifted shot blocker, and he works on it and the timing. So I think he'll be effective in that regard. I first went and saw Walker Kessler play in his junior year at Woodward Academy. Uh, and I, want, I I drove straight back to NBA TV from that game, and there was an NBA executive in the room, and he asked me, can he guard on the perimeter on a switch against a point guard? That's the first question the executive asked me, and that's the thing I still don't know that we have an answer for. That's the thing that we've got to figure out with Walker Kessler because that's what the NBA is now. You sort of hunt matchups, and if, if they find out that Walker Kessler – if you run a pick-and-roll and he gets isoed on a guard and he's just hopeless on that island, it gets tough for him to find minutes. I'm not saying he can't find minutes, but that would be an area I'd love to see him improve.
3: And, Bo, uh, shifting to other Auburn draft picks, um, it seems like Isaac Okoro, um, Chumo, Kiki's coming along, and um, JT Thor also have, has his spot kind of solidified uh, in Charlotte. Um, but with regards to Sharif Cooper, uh, he was on a two-way deal with the Hawks, and then they yep. released him. Uh, do you think there's any other opportunity out there for him, or what do you think his his next step might be?
7: I sort, I do like his game. That's the thing. I like his game, and I think there's a, the, the the challenge for him is we're in the era of a million talented guards. There's just so many talented guards out there, so he's gonna have to distinguish himself in it. And it may be that Sharif has to go out of the league and come back. He may find a two-way contract somewhere. uh, But I don't think unless he really uh, blossoms and builds his game, he's going to find a a guaranteed deal that's going to be to his liking. I I cover, look, I cover the NBL professionally, the Australian Basketball League. So when LaMelo comes over here, I was covering him with the Illawarra Hawks before that. I I think that, you know, there are players that go away and come back and do very well uh, when they have more of a dominant ball role. So I I could see him getting more playing time overseas and coming back and doing well. But that said, look, if the right opportunity comes in the NBA for him to stay sort of long-term and he's put with the right coach and the right teammates, he's got the talent to succeed right now. It's just hard to distinguish yourself with this many talented guards out there.
1: We're talking with Bo Estes from NBA TV and NBA.com. You can follow him on Twitter. Pretty simple, at NBABO as we're talking about things all across the association. Let me get you one more Auburn guy. Tell us about Isaac Okoro, Bo, because this is the guy that's playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Really, really known for his defensive ability. What do you like out of Okoro?
7: Well, you, you just hit it right there. I mean, it's defensive ability. I mean, he's, he's just a shut-down dude. And, you know, when you see that in this league, I talked about people who can distinguish themselves. That's a guy that can distinguish himself. The other thing that he's got on his side, when you're a little bit bigger like that at 6'5", uh, it, it just allows you to be more switchable. Uh, and when you're more switchable, you're more useful, and that gets you on the floor more. What, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are an interesting team because I talked about Walker Kessler going out to Utah, and they're setting their sights on the future. Cleveland is transitioning into more of a we're coming. We're almost here. And I think is a part of that. Uh, I just think that, you know, in the NBA there are windows, and Cleveland may be opening, and it may just really time out well for uh, Okoro. And that goes back to, to what I was saying before. It's, it's about timing, it's about fit. And Hindi in 6'5, again, I just can't stress how much that helps. Uh, the, the word is switchability, and everybody talks about it, and, and he has that. So that really helps him in the NBA.
2: But I want to open it up to a couple more broader NBA questions now. And uh, I'm going to avoid the Kevin Durant topic. We talk about it all the time. <laughs> good luck. Uh, we're going to try and avoid it for the next few minutes. But I just want to get your take on the offseason as a whole and, and just what team that you feel like just had a really smart and a really good offseason.
7: Well, this whole thing is wild, right? You know, I know you said you're avoiding Kevin Durant. We all saw the landscape shift when he asked for a move. So that changes the entire NBA. Everything's put on hold. Everybody's waiting to see what's next, who's going to come next. I've sort of liked what Boston has done, but now Boston's all of a sudden a player in this trade. So I'll have to wait and hold out my judgment on that. I really like what the Atlanta Hawks have done by adding DeJounte Murray. Uh, DeJounte Murray is, first of all, I think he's a wonderful fit with Trey Young. Uh, as a bigger defensive guard who can help pick up some of the slack in that regard. Uh, Also, looks like he's got a little attitude, if you saw what he did with uh, Paolo in summer league out there, or out in uh, the pro-am stuff. So I really love that. But, you know, I I was reminded of how all of this stuff, as as NBA fans and people who analyze the NBA, hangs on the next tweet. I I was walking through the Thomas and Mack Center and I looked down this little cubby hole, and in that corner, huddled in that corner, I'm not kidding, guys, was Sham Sharanya with his phone, you know, getting ready to you know, bang away on the phone. And I'm like, we're all just waiting to see what's next from these guys, uh, to see what world is – and I, I, I sat there and looked at him and sort of smiled for a second. But I was just like, is he about to tell us that Kevin Durant's gone to the Lakers or wherever? God knows. Uh, the NBA is just a wild drama in the offseason. And uh, I think the the challenge is we're all sitting here waiting. What's going to happen with Kevin Durant? Because he is, to me, uh, if not the best scorer of his generation, one of the best scorers of his generation, a supreme talent, and it makes any team an immediate contender with his presence alone. So that's the challenge of the NBA right now is that he's casting a huge shadow, and we're all waiting to see what's next.
2: And then I've also got to ask you, you talked about the DeJounte-Murray trade for Atlanta, but another big trade that happened, and I alluded to this earlier, uh, was Rudy Gobert going to Minnesota. And, of course, the talk about it has just been about the array of assets that ultimately <laughs> Utah got out of, out of Minnesota. But, I, like, I just, as a from a basketball perspective – Minnesota just seems fascinating because it appears – I mean, you're, you you don't make this acquisition if you're not doing this. You're going to have Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert play a lot of minutes together and start together on what's going to be the biggest front line, I, I, I think, in the NBA in this age where it is so guard-driven. Like, is it not pretty fascinating to see a team double down the opposite direction and say, we're going to take the best defensive big guy we can find – with a really talented offensive big guy and we're gonna roll the ball out there and oh by the way another really talented guard we do have one of those in Anthony Edwards and and just make what's really just an odd team it could be really good but just a really odd team
7: well you're, <laughs> I think that's well put because they basically rolled the dice right they've really rolled the dice I, you know I, I mentioned that it's a guard rich league the focus of the league is perimeter driven. And when you think about the way Carl Anthony Towns plays, he describes himself as the best shooting big man ever. I, I would throw Dirk Nowitzki in there if I was him. But that's how he describes himself. So his game is perimeter-oriented. He can give you a head fake and drive to the rim for the jam. But one thing that I, I heard a stat, and, and this is close if not exactly it, the Minnesota Timberwolves with Carl with Anthony Towns had something like two alley-oop dunks all season long all season long with Carl anthony Towns. So uh, he's not a rim runner. That's what Rudy Gobert does. He scores at the rim off a ton of alley-oops. And with D'Angelo Russell, like there are some obvious shortcomings in his game. But he can pass, and he can set you up. And Anthony Edwards and Carl anthony Towns will be on the perimeter. They will be drivers. So if there's going to be space in the paint for Rudy Gobert, I believe, at least. So there's a chance this could really work. Now, you mentioned the assets that they gave up to get Rudy Gobert. It's a ton. So they're putting their cards on the table right now and trying to get into deep playoff uh, contention in a deep Western conference. Uh, it's going to be a challenge, but, you know, if you're, if you're a Minnesota fan, if you're a person who's writing that check for season tickets, you've got to be pretty happy right now because you, you're putting a really good team out
1: there. We're talking with Bo Jackson, oh wait, I mean Bo Estes, here on uh, here on Sports Call today, joining us on the program, talking about news and notes from around the association. Bo, we have to make these conversations more frequent in the future, and let's just say this, as we go into football season, I'm not sure what your sports bucket list looks like, my friend, but seeing a pregame Eagle flight before a football game at jordan Stadium, I'd encourage you to put it up there, buddy.
7: I would absolutely love to get over there for that and and join you guys at at some point. I'm coming back. I'm actually coming back south this week, but I'm going to try to get back again in the fall. There is, I live in Los Angeles now, and I will tell you, college football is not a big thing out here. (laughs) And this is my first year out here, and it is the weirdest thing. It is pulling the rug out from under me because I can't imagine living in a place where college football is not a massive, massive deal like it was through all of my years in Atlanta living in the South.
1: (laughs) Well, we're certainly excited for it. And again, thank you again uh, for chatting with us on the show today. We'll have to do this again sometime soon, okay?
7: Sounds great. Thanks, fellas.
1: All right, there he goes. That's Bo Estes from NBA.com and NBA TV. First time we've had him on the show. And anytime we have a guest on for the first time, I just love the energy. And we got the energy from Bo right out of the gates. I mean making a joke towards Bo Jackson yeah and that was just awesome and Great then a chance interview. for us to talk a little bit about uh, about the NBA that was fun stuff.
2: yeah and look you know this is helping look Auburn basketball is getting a lot of people excited around Auburn around the state about the Auburn men. basketball. but it can also help excitement level. Maybe not in the NBA as a whole, but in certain elements of yeah. the NBA. And because, look, you're going to follow the guys that made Auburn great. Certain and markets. These guys are, are now transitioning into what made Auburn great a few years ago, were kind of more college based guys. We love Jared Harper, love Bryce Brown, but those were not NBA bodied guys. Those were great college players. And sometimes that happens. You have great college teams with great college players. But now, Bruce Pearl, as Bo talked about, getting NBA guys that are. Great in college, but also factor into the NBA. And so, you know, Isaac Okoro is interesting because he got picked so high, but he's kind of non traditional in that right. his best assets are not the things people drool over. You know, they help you win, but they're not the cool things like, oh, look at these incredible dunks, although he has a few of those. Look at this incredible shooting. Look at this 25 point score. He helps you win in other ways. But now, Jabari Smith, who, okay, great defender, and that'll be a part of his identity, but has the ability to be a 20 point scorer in the NBA. Um, you know, these guys are are getting more and more reputation now and they're becoming more plentiful in the league. So, you don't rely on like one guy to carry the banner for your school. You now have a handful of guys that you hope can carry the banner for for Auburn and, and get people more excited about the league and I'm excited about the opportunity Walker Kessler will have cuz I think it's rare for someone picked around 20 to get I think the opportunity is going to get when you're a lottery pick, you're going to get palpable minutes, but you're yeah. not guaranteed that if you're in the high teens and early twenties, like where Walker was. So that's why I'm excited about his opportunity. And then obviously with Jabari playing with a guy that almost, almost went to Auburn and Jalen green. Um, so so I think that situation will be fun, too, and I'm just excited. Again, I think there's a lot of things to be excited about in the NBA, but even from the Auburn perspective here, you're starting to get more and more tangible things to kind of latch on to.
1: Is Bo Estes worthy of another invite to be on the program? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, Absolutely. A, that was Absolutely. good. That was good. Great energy right out of the gates. and. Uh, yeah, no, I can talk
3: NBA all day. Yeah, so. <laughs> and a
1: good number of players to be talking about. His voice probably sounds familiar to some on NBA TV and on NBA.com. Every single day, they post their top 10 highlights, and that's Bo Estes' voice, who is the voice of the NBA top 10 every single night, and he was able to join us on the program here in hour number one today. So our thanks again, to Bo Estes for joining us here on the program. Not Bo Jackson, (laughs) but Bo Estes. Pretty remarkable stuff. Really enjoyed that conversation right there. All right, what that does is it brings us to the end of the opening hour of Sports Call here today. What a fun one it's been. We've still got a lot more to go and to cover. South Carolina and Mississippi State, they are up next in our 2022 football preview. Wacky Wednesday. Fun stories still to come as well in the final hour of our program. Alongside Ryan LaVoye-Cambury and Tom Peavy, my name is JJ Jackson. One hour in the books, and we're rolling. Starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan Lavoy, and Cam Barry. We have concluded the first hour of the program today, and we have got two more to go. Our thanks to Bo Estes for being on the program a little bit earlier. If you missed that conversation, you could find it as soon as the show comes to a close on our Sports Call podcast. Coming up this hour, we will chat with Hale McGranahan from the Big Spur. 247 Sports, talking about the South Carolina Gamecocks going into this upcoming season, and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Head coach, Mike Leach, he's a talker. He says words, uh, and then some (laughs) words don't have to do with football, and they lead into off-the-wall stories and that sort of thing. But he's also a good offensive football coach. He loves to throw the football. He's got a great quarterback in Will Rogers, who we talked about the state of the SEC, the number of quarterbacks in this league, that Will Rogers is a top three all-time passing quarterback historically in the conference and often forgotten about. I mean, this Mississippi State team truly is fascinating as you look at this upcoming college football season and as we dive into our Bulldogs preview here on Sports Call today. What a team this is.
2: Yeah, you know, it's... They're another really interesting team, and I've just kind of talked about it with you guys off air a little bit and and just how pretty much um, with Mississippi State, they're a team that would be really easy to overlook and to right. put in last place. But, okay, this team returning eight stars on both offense and defense – in my opinion, they've got the perfect quarterback for their system. Will Rogers knows that system. He has operated very well in it. 4,700 yards, 36 TDs, nine interceptions last year. I mean, those are all winning numbers at that position uh, for what you want out of a quarterback and an air-rated quarterback. They return, really, all of their rushing production. They return uh, their two through five receivers. They don't return their 1,000-yard guy, but they return a couple guys that have 600 yards. Defense, they return their leading tacklers, their leading sack guy, their leading interception guy. Like this, the, it, it, if not having a decent team this year win, you know, and, and that kind of goes into the just, just difficulty of predicting the order of finish two through seven in the West because the teams that are typically last are at their best right yep. now. And the teams that are typically national title contenders or, or locks to be top 25 teams are kind of at their worst right now. Sure. LSU's not in a good place right now. Auburn is not in a good place right now. Um, but then you look at the Mississippis that, and maybe Arkansas that – typically are more towards the bottom of the conference, Sam Pittman's doing a great job for Arkansas. Lane Kiffin's doing a great job for Ole Miss. Yep. And, and Mike Leach is a reputable head coach that has what it feels like is the guys he wants in place at State. So, to me, their key this year, when you take a look at their numbers, they were average on both sides of the ball. Even with that air raid offense, they, they ended up 59th in scoring last year. So, finding ways to just get a little better. Okay, Both sides of the ball, you need to get a little better. You don't have to be hum, and this is, this is me preaching to the choir, it seems like, on, with every team. You don't have to rocket yourself into the top 20 in anything. But State needs to be in the 30s offensively. They, right. they need to get incrementally better on the side of the ball that you have all this experience. And then defensively, with eight starters back, again, same thing, 30s or 40s. You're not looking to become some great defensive team, some team that's going to hold people to 10 points. But you just need to get to a place where you don't have these games where you, you know, 38, 40 points and kind of running all over the field and, 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 and have to score every time to make it up. So, look, I think with State, again, it, it's you can talk about their overall talent level and short. Sure, it's going to be below the average SEC team. But that's where experience can come in and that's where good coaching can come in. And Mike Leach, for all of his quirks, I think most of them are funny. You know, he has won at schools like this before. Washington State's not a good school, yeah. but he had he a couple really good teams there. Yes. Texas Tech is, is not even a top two school in Texas. <laughs> it's not. And yet he had some years there where they were nationally relevant. And and by the way, they've really not ever been as good since. Nope. Even, even with Patrick Mahomes, they were not as They're good not as they were close. when they had Michael Crabtree, Graham Harrell, and those guys. So... Leach knows what he's doing. This league is obviously a little tougher than those leagues, and this program, again, is a tough program to win at. But I would just simply suggest, I'm not married to having Mississippi State at this some eight or nine win team. I'm not married to that at all. But what I would just tell you is, if it is ever going to work with Mike Leach at Mississippi State, he's got the correct personnel to do it, and he's got an experienced team. Again, I cannot, I'm going to say it again, I cannot think of a quarterback that would run the system better for what he needs it to do, okay? There are there are better quarterbacks that exist. Bryce Young is still a better quarterback than Will Rogers. Yeah, but... But, but Will Rogers gets it out of his hand immediately, and for someone that's reasonably going to attend Mississippi State, again, you're not going to have access to the five-star quarterbacks. He is going to be perfect for what they're trying to do. And so... Um, Again, I don't know where they ultimately fall. They're one of, again, five or six teams that I think are interchangeable. And two, I, I don't think they'll be two. Is there a scenario where they're three? It still seems far-fetched. They could be four through seven, no doubt. And maybe they could be three. If Arkansas fell apart, if A&M was two, could you, could you come up with Mississippi State above Arkansas? Maybe you could. But then just as easily, you would have Mississippi State potentially being seventh. So I don't know if their season will be – Five, six, seven, even eight wins. I'm just simply again saying that if they can't do it this year, I don't know how Mike Leach has a path to making state a, a solid team because all the ingredients you would want in a guy in his third year that's had success other places sure. seem to be there from my point of view.
1: Mississippi State, seven and six last season, four and four in the SEC. Yeah. They lost the Auto Zone Liberty Bowl. To Texas Tech by a score of 34 to 7. Cam, how do you feel about Mississippi State?
3: An extremely middle of the pack team, extremely middle of the pack program. Um, obviously, the best that they ever will probably be was with Dak Prescott. I don't really ever see them going past or like, you know, above yeah. that, winning a national championship. I mean, they were number one at that point. I mean, yeah. Um, but I mean, I agree with Ryan, you know, Will Rogers is an extremely talented quarterback. I think he fits the air raid system that, uh, Mike Leach has in, in place there and their returning experience. Um, you know, if, if they can't do it now, if they can't create or generate some type of winning, um, now I just don't see it happening under Mike Leach's tenure.
1: Tom, Mississippi State goes into twenty twenty two. They've got their quarterback coming back. They got Mike Leach still as their head coach. Uh,
4: yeah. I I mean, Will Rogers coming back is a plus, but I'm just not sold on Mike Leach. Um, I, He's I a goofy I, dude. I, yeah. I, well, you know, and I like Mike Leach for the character that he is, the pirate and all his little quirks and the way he does an in interview. Unorthodox. Sure. I I like all that stuff, but. I'm just I'm not sold on him as a head coach. Uh, at media days and our in our uh, predictions, I predicted Mississippi State last in the in the West. Uh, I I think Will Rogers is a great quarterback, but I think they're going to miss uh, Makai Polk a lot. Uh, I mean that was their big time wide receiver. Um, and, and it just it feels like you know, it feels like with Mike Leach and this type of offense in the SEC, it just feels like defense is no better how to stop it. We've seen him dominate uh, in some other areas, uh, or you know when he was at Washington State with an amazing offense, and at Texas Tech he's putting up some crazy numbers. It just feels like the defenses in the SEC are a lot smarter and are a lot more knowledgeable on, on how to stop it. And I mean, if you if you just go through here and you look at at some of their scores, I mean, uh, you know, really Auburn game. I mean, they scored forty three. And that was one of their bigger outputs uh, other than at Vanderbilt. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it's a team that was being held to like 20-some-odd points throughout the season. So, it, it's not like this is the Mike Leach and the offense that we've seen they are just putting up 40s and 50s, uh, uh, you know, almost every time they set foot on the field. And so, that's why I'm just not – I'm not sold on Leach in the SEC. I'm not sold on Mississippi State doing a whole lot. Uh, like I said, I predicted them last. I I think it could, I I think it could kind of be between them and Auburn for for that bottom spot in the West right now. And, and, it feels like a popular and, pick. And and me being the homer that I am, I put Auburn not last. So um, <laughs> just sixth, just next to last. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's my thought, I, and and I think Will Rogers is a great quarterback, and, and I think there is a chance that. Uh, Mississippi State could do something, just like I think there's a chance Auburn could do something. I I just don't think Mississippi State has the whole package there, even with all the starters they they have coming back. I just don't think they're very good starters. And when you're when you lose your thousand yard wide receiver like that, you gotta have somebody else step up. Uh, and then I just think the talent gap between Mississippi State and the rest of the league is just too much for them to overcome right now, even with a great quarterback like Will Rogers coming in. Coming, yes, excuse me coming
2: back so so I'll say, look, I mean ultimately someone's gonna have to finish last, yeah you know and yeah. i i i I think when you set things up, if it's state you you look at it and you say it's not mes- necessarily much of an indictment on them okay they again the the two teams here's what's makes it so difficult people feel if you just poll people and again, I have a SEC preseason media poll to prove it to you. You're saying that the two teams that are traditionally down there with Mississippi State at the bottom, Ole Miss and Arkansas, are pretty confident picks to be in the upper half of the West or around the upper half of the West. Arkansas right. was just a few points behind A&M for second, and Ole Miss was solidly above. Uh, I think State finished or LSU finished fifth. Ole Miss was fourth, and Ole Miss was solidly fourth. Okay, so their problem is when you start thinking about Mississippi State you're comparing them for this year's purposes to LSU and Auburn. And traditionally, there is no comparison there to either one. Now, Mississippi State's had some success against Auburn in recent years. Beat them last year, obviously. Beat them in 2018 in Starkville when uh, Nick Fitzgerald had about 40 rushes and Mississippi State had about 44 minutes time possession. State obviously beat – Auburn in 2014, with a that silly booby
1: cut. whitlow fumble in that uh, game.
2: Yeah, a, a lot of weird I'm things hurting. in that 2018 game. So, again, it can happen, but to just look on paper and just see the talent that all, even Auburn has, and then of course what LSU has, it doesn't seem like Mississippi State should be the team to come out of their fifth. Now, again, though, that's where a little bit more continuity might matter. Can they make up for it in the experience that they have? And look, again, Mike Leach, you can not be sold on in the SEC, sure, but Mike Leach is a really good guy for building teams with no historical success. Again, I, I go back to his time at Texas Tech. He was 84-43 and 43 at Texas Tech. There was not a single time they didn't win at least seven games at Texas Tech. Right. Again, you look at Texas Tech after that, There's very few times they win more than seven games, and then even at Washington State over the course of I believe seven years, maybe eight. Yeah. Um, fifty-five and forty-seven, and again a couple three and nines in his first three years. After the three and nines, nine, eight, nine, eleven wins, and then a six and seven year before he left. So again, this is why I say, I think all things can be true here. You cannot be sold on Mike Leach in the SEC. It's tough. You can say that you have your doubts about Mississippi State because of the talent. It's tough, but at the same time, the window for them is relying on maybe Mike Leach can kind of work similarly. Again, they're not going to win this conference ever. They're they're not going to be a national power ever. But can you get to that eight-win happy place where it's like, okay, Mississippi State's okay with this. It's not bad. The scope of college football, it's not going to make you nationally relevant, but it does keep – it it, it keeps your job and it keeps people a little interested um they do have that potential because of the experience if mike leach can work and again with will rogers and and a receiver i know they lost their top receiver but they got two through five back they got three 500 yard guys back this year
4: the one thing that's going to hurt mississippi state is the schedule at lsu at alabama at Ole miss and then their crossovers to the east georgia and kentucky yep georgia's tough
2: is not going to happen, and then Kentucky oh, and, and they're at,
4: at Kentucky. We'll
1: talk a little bit more about Mississippi State when we come back. Some broadcast news to let folks know about. ESPN has announced that they have reached a deal with Aaron Murray to come over and be one of their college football analysts. He leaves CBS Sports. Aaron Murray coming to ESPN. All right, let's take a timeout. We're back with more Sports Call after this.
0: Do you want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU.
3: I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: We're moving forward here on Auburn's First and Auburn's Favorite Sports Talk Show. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LeVoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Barry, getting set to chat with Helma Granahan. In just a little bit, we'll transition to South Carolina. Helma Granahan, of course, he's been on the program before. Auburn does not play the Gamecocks this year in the non-conference, but uh, let's continue Mississippi State talk for just a few moments. Again, the Bulldogs, uh, what a, a... uh, fun game day environment. We talked about a little bit earlier when James from Montgomery called in. You've got the Cowbells going crazy. So unique. Such a just Mississippi thing to do. You know, it's just, it's just, it screams Mississippi State when you think about the environment that's there at Davis Wade Stadium. And Auburn plays at Mississippi State this upcoming year. Let's focus a little bit more before this last break. Got about six or seven minutes. I want to focus on just truly. The Auburn versus Mississippi State matchup. Like these two teams, comparatively speaking, take away the rest of the ACC. How would the ACC? SEC. I'm all over the place. Oh. You see what I'm saying? How do these two teams stack up head-to-head? Our Auburn Tigers and the Mississippi State Bulldogs.
4: Well, I mean, right now, just in the preseason, without knowing exactly what Auburn's going to look like, you, you have to give Mississippi State Uh, the advantage because they do return their quarterback Uh, so that's a plus right there for Mississippi State you have a proven quarterback coming back to your team Auburn has no idea who their quarterback's even going to be right now so you know plus to that uh, and then with it being in Starkville now Auburn had that game last year Uh, you know you, you you end up losing that one but Auburn had that game felt like you had that game pretty well in grasp and Mississippi State made a come back on them um so i I think the overall talent i think auburn has more overall talent but in key positions is where i think mississippi state has the advantage over auburn right now and that being quarterback wide receiver even though they did lose their top receiver as ryan mentioned they still bring their number two and their number three receiver back uh they have a couple losses on their offensive line but they still bring the majority of their offensive line back so, uh, right now, preseason, without knowing how things are going to shake out or how teams are going to shake out, like, early in the season, uh, you got to give Mississippi State the edge. Though.
2: And, and, you know, it's interesting because Auburn and Mississippi State have had these weird games of the year. Obviously, the first one that comes to mind is how a football game finished 3-2, to two, and yeah. Auburn and Mississippi State <laughs> were, the, were the actual participants when it did. Uh, but, but, again, you know, there are other teams Auburn's had more success against in the in the last nine or ten years, to be honest. You know, they've been successful against Mississippi State, but I look at in the same time frame, I believe Auburn's only lost to Arkansas once. Yep. And I think it was that 2015 quad overtime or triple overtime yes. game in Fayetteville. Other than that, I mean, Auburn has run through Arkansas. And, of course, Auburn had the game that they kind of should have lost in 2020 uh, in that controversial game. But – the reality is their Mississippi State has not had a problem having a good day against Auburn. Now, the 28-3 thing last year is so interesting to think about because on one hand, like you say, well, okay, you know, if injury doesn't happen, you know, Auburn was clearly playing better and they would have probably blown them out in that game. And that's a valid point. However, <laughs> Auburn will look more like the team it was after Bo Nix got injured – than it will before because, well, Bonex Nix well, is not the quarterback here anymore. And it is going to be T.J. Finley or Zach Calzada, we presume. And, and so it's kind of hard to know. It, it's a game that's at home for Mississippi State, uh, which matters. Now, Tom made a great point, and I know you said not to do this. Look, State's schedule is tough this year because – to his point, you know, if you had Kentucky at home, you'd think that's a toss-up game. Kentucky is Kentucky is a well coached experienced team. Sure. Right. They're like Mississippi State. They're not they're not above Mississippi State because they are supremely talented. They're above them because they're done this a little bit longer and just a little bit more experienced at it. But in the scope of things, like this is not like an out talent situation, I don't think, between Kentucky and Mississippi State. But being on the road matters. These home venues matter. I think college football is something between like two-thirds of, and 70% of the time the home team wins. So it, it matters to be at home. And Mississippi State's home games, um, Texas a and that's a tough game no matter where you play it. Um they play georgia that's a loss no matter where you play it to be honest with you uh, and then you have arkansas which is interesting and then auburn which will be it's it's good for mississippi to be at home it, it might swing the value of that game so when they compare it to each other it's just it's just tough because you know when you look at places like the defensive line and the linebackers, auburn's going to be more talented absolutely um but then in running back obviously but then why is auburn picked 7th in the west the quarterback and wide receivers combo. And again, what does Mississippi State have? The number two receiver last year was Jaden Wally. Uh, Jaden Wally had 700 yards as a freshman, 600 as a sophomore. He's a completely competent receiver. Yeah, Like, like I said, they use their running backs a lot. Their, their number one running back is back from last year. And I say use their running backs a lot as in, in the passing game because their running back, uh, who is Dylan Johnson, had 65 catches last year. So that part of it, They've got figured out. They've got the. If Auburn had what Mississippi State had as far as passing the football, Auburn would be viewed as a top half team this year. But because they don't, that's where all the doubt is. That's why the talent level is going to have to override maybe some shortcomings in other areas. So it, it's it's again it, it's why we're going to play the game because some people are out there probably saying, "Oh no, Auburn so far." talented above mississippi state it doesn't matter Auburn will we'll, we'll be fine they'll avenge the loss from last year fine but then there's also gonna be people that would be like well real, will rogers is really good and the auburn quarterback play and, and the passing game is gonna have to figure it out and the auburn offensive line run blocking gonna have to figure it out there's real problems there so again like i said i think they're pretty even teams because they all the the every team 2 through 7 in the west is going to have issues and it's going to have things that they feel that they can lean on and so they're they're very closely matched coming into the season
1: some numbers to point out since 2010 Mississippi State has defeated Auburn 5 times since 2010 Arkansas has defeated Auburn 3 times since 2010 Ole Miss has defeated Auburn just twice Auburn does a very good job since 2010 against hmm. those three schools in particular. So, we will see what uh, Bulldog football looks like as we gear up for this 2022 season. Hale State is what they say. Hmm. And again, cowbells galore for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Let's take an, our next time out when we come back. Hale McGranahan writes for the Big Spur, the division of 24-7 sports covering the South Carolina Gamecocks. We talk Spencer Rattler, Shane Beamer, Beamer Ball. Boy, that guy's fun to root for. We discuss all of that and more next here on Sports Call.
0: Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call, Auburn.
1: Welcome back into the program. This is Sports Call, WTGZ, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app, JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry. Hope that everyone's doing well on this Wednesday. We're halfway through the week, and, and football season is certainly getting closer. 24 days and counting away from September 3rd when Auburn and a lot of SEC schools get back into action. We want to go to our Auburn Bank phone line right now and bring on a friend of the program. Hale McGranahan is back from the Big Spur, a division of 24-7 sports, talking South Carolina Gamecocks as they gear up for the upcoming season. Hale, the time is greatly appreciated. Had a couple of uh, South Carolina and Auburn meetings over the past few seasons and uh, excited to have you back on the program today. How are you?
6: Doing well. I appreciate y'all having me back on, just uh, trying to take care of some recruiting news here that uh, didn't go South Carolina's way, but... uh... It's, uh, it's a
1: balancing act this
4: time of year. No so. kidding. Uh, it sounds about like Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: so as we get set for this upcoming season, obviously big news for South Carolina. Spencer Rattler comes over from Oklahoma. I mean, how can you describe the excitement that the Gamecock fan base has that Rattler chose the Gamecocks of all schools to play for?
6: Yeah, folks are pretty pumped up, and, and it's not just Rattler that's got the, the fan base feeling this way right now it's it's a whole host of stuff and and he did kind of kick start it in december when when he committed to south carolina and and signed as as a part of the class to come in in january and you know about a week and a half later they they go up to charlotte and win the bowl game and impressive fashion over north carolina they 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 bring in rattler and and get some other guys from the transfer portal and a bunch of them are on campus going through spring ball and everybody's feeling pretty good and it's just kind of built consistently during that time that they've added some more guys through the portal that joined the team in the summer and it's, it's it's starting to really come to a head now and and, and you know it, it probably depends who you ask the, the range of expected win totals can, can probably fall anywhere between 7 and 8 and 7 and 8 total wins to 10 or 11 total wins depending who you ask so it's uh, it, folks are fired up around here for sure
1: What's gonna be the biggest strength of the South Carolina football team?
6: That's a good question. I, I would assume that it's gonna be the passing game because of Rattler and, and, and what they've got around him. Uh, they've got some pieces coming back and Josh Van and and Jaheen Bell and the carry on joining, a couple running backs and, and I mentioned the guys they brought from the portal. Those there's, there's probably a collection of four or five skill guys, whether receivers are tied in, so who are going to be big parts of the offense? So, so I, I think just on paper, yeah, that's the easy thing to point to that uh, they should be able to throw the ball around and, and probably put up some numbers. Um, but, but their secondary was really good last year statistically, um, and, and you know they've got some some room to grow up front in the front seven. So maybe there's some upside there. But, but I do think really at the end of the day that. Uh, what, what they're able to do with the passing game on offense is, is going to be the strength of
2: this game. You mentioned uh, on the question about Spencer Rattler, just the overall excitement level in the program. I think a lot of that comes from Shane Beamer, who got the opportunity to hear from uh, at SEC Media Days. And just what has he done for the overall excitement of the program and a program that really had a lot of success under Steve Spurrier, a, a very recent memory, and then quickly reverted uh, into a, a lower-tier SEC team under Will Muschamp. So just how has it kind of been a, a roller coaster the last few years, and how important it has been that Shane Beamer has brought that excitement level back?
6: Yeah, well, you know, those first two years under Muschamp actually went pretty well. They, they won seven games, excuse me, six games, and went to a bowl in his first year and won nine. Uh, his second year, uh, beat Michigan in the Outback Bowl, and, and things were looking pretty good there a couple of years in, and, they just slowly started to deteriorate and uh, then really got roller coaster there towards the end. But uh, I, I think what, what really has people excited about Coach Beamer and, and what he brings compared to what's been here in the past, whether that's Champ or Spurrier, is, is he's someone who who feels a connection to the school and it has really gone out of his way, uh, not just publicly either, but to, to let people know that, that he – he coveted this job and this is a place that he wanted to be and wanted to try to build something special. And, 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 you know, it's, it's not just lip service either. I mean, he, he obviously coached there for a little while. He was born in Charleston. So he feels somewhat of a, a kinship to the state, even though he he obviously grew up in in Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, But it's a place that, that, that truly does mean a lot to Shane Beamer. And, and I know there are probably some, some cynical college football fans who, who, probably rolling their eyes when they hear anybody say that or hear him say that Um, but but there's there's a connection there that that he's that he's trying to build with people and 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 i say trying but but he has built with people because it's pretty genuine and 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 i think you can see that when when he's out amongst the people and interacting with fans and, and that type of stuff that uh that's got people particularly excited about this guy
2: when you're looking at South Carolina's schedule this year, obviously Arkansas and, and Texas a and are the crossover games. There's always going to be that rivalry at the end of the season with Clemson, uh, of course, Georgia, the reigning national champions. What what do you make of this schedule, and, and and when do you think what do you think the most important part of this schedule is?
6: Well, it's I you know I I, I hear this question every every summer when I when I talk to various folks uh, around the country about South Carolina's schedule. I, what do you make of this schedule? And, and, you know, no offense to your question, but it's the same schedule they got to play every year. And, and Auburn certainly is no stranger to looking at a schedule and seeing the same group of teams that are on there every year. And it just kind of like cash, no breaks. I mean, Clemson, Georgia, Texas A&M every year. And then you the factor in Tennessee and Florida every year. Uh, then just a, another team from the West in Arkansas uh, that's rotated in. So that's, that's six games right there. That are awful tough, um, and haven't even mentioned Kentucky and 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 what they've done in the past few years and the thorn the side that they've been for South Carolina. So, I guess to answer the second part of your question, I, I really think the, the start of the schedule is is where they they need to 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 do well. I mean, Georgia State and in the opener is that's not going to be a picnic by any means, and nobody around here is expecting it to be either. Sean Elliott, their head coach, was former interim coach here at South Carolina, offensive line coach. He's from Camden, South Carolina, which is right down the road from Columbia. Uh, so this game is important to him. It's important to his team. And, and beyond that, they're pretty good. Uh, for for the Sunbelt level, they're really good. Uh, so that's going to be a challenge. And they got Arkansas in week two. And, and uh, folks out there in Auburn know, know what they did last year out west and, and sort of the – I guess expectations and excitement they've got going into year two under Sam Pittman. Another tough game you got to play. Play at eleven a.m. Uh, then, then you come back home for week three with the noon kickoff against Georgia. Um, so, you know, you, you could be looking at one and two to start the season, and and you're climbing out of a hole, and, and you still haven't played played uh, a couple of those teams that I mentioned a little earlier. And it's it's going to be a dogfight, obviously. So so I think they need to start out. You know, hope hope for two and one and and kill and on top of the world if you're three and
2: Wanted to follow up with the with the schedule a little bit just as a kind of a, a future question, because we've seen some coaches in the league. It's obviously going to be a talking point as Oklahoma and Texas Center and and of course that won't make it easier for anyone in the league to add two powerhouses like that. But I, I wonder if yeah. Shane Beamer has gone on record there saying if he's in support of either an eight- or a nine-game model, given that South Carolina is one of the teams in the SEC that already has a built-in important rivalry outside of the conference?
6: Yeah, he, he was asked about it, last I recall, before the SEC meetings, before they went down to Destin. And I, I can't recall exactly off the top of my head if he said or kind of hinted at which formula he preferred. I do know that that obviously, like you said, that, that Clemson game—that that's always going to be on the South Carolina schedule unless a year like 2020 happens again. Um, that, that's always going to be on the schedule. I mean, they—they they want to play Clemson every year, regardless of of how good they are and how how not good South Carolina is at the time. It's 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 always a game that's got to be on the schedule, and and uh, whether that's uh Gets that way from from an eight eight game league schedule or nine game. I I think that's probably sort of at the top of the list for not only Shane Beamer but for for folks around University of South Carolina's athletic department and people in Columbia and, and, and that type of stuff.
1: Hale McGranahan is our guest right now on Sports Call from the Big Spur twenty four seven Sports. He's on Twitter at Hale McGranahan. All right, so South Carolina can challenge Georgia for the SEC East crown. If what happens, Hale?
6: If they beat Georgia in week three, that's, <laughs> that's the obvious place to start because you got to think that uh, that a team like Georgia is a little more equipped to to make its way through the schedule. Uh, you know, if, if you lose to Georgia, then you got to expect them to to lose a couple times, and, and for you to to run the table, and that's gonna be really tough to do. Um, so so they got it. They got to, I guess, to, to give you a better answer. They've got to get everybody on that offense on the same page by the time week three rolls around. And and when you have a new quarterback, when you have a, a bunch of new skill guys, and everybody's getting used to it, it's going to take a little bit of time. Whether it's you know a few weeks into camp or the second quarter of that Georgia State game or you know they come out the gates firing against Arkansas, whatever the case may be it's got to be clicking by the time week three rolls around and, and Georgia comes, comes to Columbia. And, and fortunately for South Carolina, if there's a silver lining to it, they, they get Georgia at the start of the season while they're still trying to figure things out and replace all those guys on their defense. So uh, you, you have an opportunity when you catch them early because uh, they've they still got a lot of really good players on that team, and and it might take those guys a little bit to uh, to get going as well. So maybe maybe you can – kind of hope that uh, you catch them before they really uh, hit their stride and and get going on defense.
1: Let's end our conversation with this. So with all of that in mind, with the talk of Spencer Rattler and Shane Beamer building excitement around this program, the schedule, you look at South Carolina football here in 2022, the ceiling of this football team would be what and where would you place the floor in terms of number of wins?
6: Realistically, I I think the ceiling is is probably – Nine, nine to ten wins. I, I, for for the reasons I've kind of outlined earlier, right. With those three teams, you know, the, the Clemson, Georgia, A and M. Of you got to go up to Kentucky. You get Tennessee at home, so that's a toss up game ish. You, you know, Tennessee did beat the brakes off of South Carolina last year, not so. Got to go to the swamp. Uh, it, it's, there are a lot of toss up types of games out there, but the. I mean, I think they could win them just as easily as they could lose some of them. So, you know, you pull off an upset uh, of, of that big three and, and don't don't stumble against the Vanderbilt or Georgia State or even uh, somebody or even a Missouri. I think you should feel good about beating them when when they because they're coming to this Columbia this year. So, uh, you, you got to Win the ones you're supposed to. Win at least one that you're not supposed to, and uh, and the and the you know, two, three toss up games. Uh, you take most, if not all, of those and and then, then we can talk, be talking about a team that's uh that's really humming with, with a good one season under the belt seven so in the bowl
1: season. This Columbia versus that Columbia. It's gotta be a fun talking point there in uh South Carolina for the Game Cox. Hail hey, listen the time is certainly greatly appreciated. Appreciate you taking time to uh, chat with us here on the program today. How can our listeners support you, and where can they find all your South Carolina coverage, my friend?
6: Yeah, I do it all at, at thebigspur.com or 247 But uh, if if you're an Auburn fan listening right now, if, if you're subscribed to to that site and, and 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 read them, then then you can read anything that I write uh, for for the Big Spur 24 seven, even if it's uh, VIP stuff as well. So. Uh, that, that's where you can find me. That's, that's where I, I give all my good information. I, I leave Twitter for, for the folks who to read about the stuff on the site and, and want to talk about it on Twitter. I'll, they can talk about it on there. I, but I I do my, my heavy hitting on, on the site.
1: There you go. Well, we'll check it all out there. Thanks for the time. Be well, and we'll talk again soon, okay?
6: I appreciate you all having me. Thank you so much.
1: All right. That's our buddy Hale McGranahan from the Big Spur, a division, as he said, of 24-7 sports. And he's joining us here today. On Sports Call. Let's take our final time out of our number two of Sports Call today. When we come back, more Gamecock talk. We'll discuss South Carolina next here on Sports Call.
0: Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call.
1: Welcome back into the program. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson, Tom Beebe, Cam Barry, and Ryan Lavoy inside our studios. Our thanks again to Hale McGranahan from thebigspur.com joining us on the show a moment ago to talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks as they gear up for this 2022 season. They've got a built-in rivalry outside of the SEC. Every year, you get the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry. And trust me, the Gamecocks, they really want to beat the Clemson Tigers again. It just doesn't feel like that's going to be happening anytime soon. Nonetheless, Shane Beamer building a ton of excitement around his program. Spencer Rattler is a high-profile quarterback that has entered the program. So they've got high expectations going into the year. Cam, tell me how you feel about South Carolina this season.
3: Uh, Spencer Rattler, an extremely exciting quarterback. Uh, he was a star um, at Pinnacle, you know, in his high school years. Definitely one of the, you know, considered one of the top quarterbacks in his class. Um, I watched a show on Netflix that featured him, and yeah. I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me.
1: Oh, was it Beyond but, the Lights? Is that what it was called? It was something. It was one of those quarterback I, something, shows. It was, it was yeah.
3: featured with him and like Jake. Jake, Jake Fromm, Fromm was in it. Um, and they had another quarterback um, as well that was uh, featured on yeah, there. I conf- can't remember.
1: Confirm the quarter. The show's name is QB One. QB One. Beyond yes, the line. That's what it. Yes. QB One. Yeah. Beyond the line. Um,
3: talked a lot. You know, with uh, with Spencer, and I mean, you know, His he, best he's best
1: friends growing up with Nico Mannion. Yep.
3: Nico Mannion, who is now in the uh, NBA. Um, but yeah, just a, a, a very talented player, a leader. Uh, kind of seemed like at Oklahoma um maybe just things just didn't kind of work out you know the expectations were maybe too high just with the pressure of it being Oklahoma and following up you know Kyler and and uh Baker Mayfield and and those kind of guys um but kind of getting a fresh start at South Carolina uh in the SEC I'm definitely excited to see what he and Beamer can kind of cook up it'll it'll definitely be uh something interesting to watch. Yeah, I think for South
2: Carolina this year, they're part of the equation. So in the West, it is 2 through 7. That is almost interchangeable. You, you can argue maybe there's no path for A&M finishing last or that sort of thing. But there's a lot of mixing and matching and can be done 2 through 7 in the West. In the East, it is of it is my opinion, it's 2 through 5. And I would exclude Missouri and Vandy. Vandy's finishing 7th, right. Missouri is finishing 6th. Easily. Um, but 2 through 5, I think, could change some hands here. And look, I uh, South Carolina, I still think going into the season, you got to favor a team like Kentucky over them uh, and you got to favor Tennessee over them. But again, the excitement level is palpable there. Mm-hmm. And the charisma is really good with, with Shane Beamer. Very much so. And I think it speaks to how hard you play. And this is something going on in the West with Arkansas. That you can go seven and six last year and beat North Carolina in the bowl game to get to that seventh win, you can go seven and six last year when you're running out. And I'm not exaggerating this, okay? Graduate assistants to be mm-hmm. your quarterback, you know, and then you bring in a guy like Spencer Rattler. I know it's way more complicated than that. You, you got to be good at 22 spots, and I get right. that. But if you can have the fight and belief that. a a kind of coach is playing quarterback and a walk on it all these things are trying to mix and match to find a quarterback to play on a Saturday afternoon and you can still make a bowl game with that you've got to believe this team's going to fight hard and get the most out of their team whatever that looks like now is that eight wins five wins six wins whatever it is they're going to get the most out of it and you know I think this team look Tough schedule. That's why I asked about it, because on top of the A&M game that they already play, look, a random crossover game, A&M had to play somebody out of the East every year. Mm-hmm. Um, Arkansas's considered to be, you know, at least coming in the season, maybe the third toughest team out of the West. You got the, the two and three coming into the season in the West. There are a couple teams you would rather play than Texas A&M and Arkansas in the west so it's difficult and then you know that clemson is going to always be tough and look last year south carolina against clemson didn't score (laughs) okay uh again probably due to the quarterback uh that they had going on but look i I think that there is a a pretty respectable size between the ceiling and the floor would i go 10 win ceiling for south carolina no but I'd go somewhere around eight or nine yeah. for the ceiling. I don't think that's impossible. I think they're losing to Clemson. I think they're losing to Georgia. Is there, you know, I probably would go ahead and say loss to AM, but it is at home. And pound for pound, Williams Bryce Stadium is up there uh, in terms of difficulty in, uh, in the SEC. Look, it doesn't get talked about because it's not the 100,000 seat behemoth that half the league has, but I'm saying pound for pound. You know, like like Kentucky in the scheme of things, low. they're about the same size stadium. Kentucky does not feel as tough to me. Playing at Kentucky Kroger Field, that does not really put the fear of God in me. But you hear that Godforsaken rooster yeah. at Williams Bryce Stadium. And it's Uh just different. It's just a little different. You hear Sandstorm before the game. Like, they have something real about that, even if it is not the eighty to ninety to 100,000-seat stadium that we we see at Tiger Stadium and Bryant-Denny and Jordan Hare and the list goes on. So I think that they will have some successes, particularly at home. Tennessee at the end of the year, when Tennessee thinks they've all accomplished whatever they've accomplished, that's the type of team I feel like South Carolina could be able to beat when it's at home. But, again, the floor to them is kind of low, too, because they do have some obvious losses. They do have games that are going to be 50-50 that they need to win, like at Florida is going to be an important game for them. That's the week before Tennessee. show. Um, again, another team with a wide, varying group of outcomes this year. But, again, the excitement is real uh, in Columbia, South Carolina, for, the, for their game Gamecocks. And, and, again, I think that's something that hasn't been able to been said for at least a few years.
1: Exciting times. Football season right around the corner. 24 days away from September 3rd, from Week 1. Of course, we're closer than that. 17 days away from Week 0. The only SEC team playing in Week 0, the Vanderbilt Commodores. We have reached the end of hour number two, final hour. Coming up, we'll have some stories. Story time with Tom Peavy. Sometimes truth can be stranger than fiction. I think I got the title right that time. You did. First time ever. We're going to do those when we come back. That does it for the second hour of the program alongside Cam, Ryan, and Tom. My name is JJ Jackson. Two hours of the books, and we're rolling. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started today on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. It's been a fun show so far. J.J. Jackson with Ryan LaVoye, Tom Peavy, and Cam Barry. We've got fun left to go on today's program. All of our Sports Call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. You can visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, 334-887-3401 locally, or toll free at one 9 tiger 9 Before we do anything else during today's program, here's a daily show recap.
0: We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap.
2: Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things?
1: Really fun show so far today. Bo Estes joined us in the first hour of the program. We've also had a Mississippi State and South Carolina preview on the show. We've been doing two schools a day talking about what their outlook looks like for this upcoming season. So six of the 14 schools have now been completed. We've got two more coming up tomorrow. And then again, remember, we will not have a show on Friday this week. The Falcons play the Detroit Lions. Their pregame show starts at 3 o'clock Central Time, kickoff set for 5 p.m. Central Time. So no show on Friday Tomorrow will serve as our last show of the week. We spent a good bit of time talking about the South Carolina Gamecocks in our preview today. And, Cam, you mentioned Spencer Rattler being the star of that Netflix show, QB1, Beyond the Lights. I went back and I did some research. There have been three seasons of QB1 beyond the lights Really, i
3: think i've only seen two of them interesting okay. and
1: it is now canceled it's yeah, been it's been right. taken off the that. show i didn't know uh, that. you could still go see these first three seasons on netflix but here were the quarterbacks featured in all three seasons okay these are some good names oh yeah this is a i'll just read it to you a 2017 created american documentary web series each season focuses on three high school senior quarterbacks from they? different backgrounds as they play their final season before moving on to NCAA Division I football. Was Justin Fields on Yeah. Season, yeah okay, okay. One, season one featured Tavon Bowers, Jake Fromm, yep. and Tate Martell. Tate Martell. Tavon Bowers committed to Wake Forest and then subsequently transferred to Gardner-Webb. Bit All of a right. drop-off. Jake Fromm. Played every year for the Georgia Bulldogs. Subsequently drafted in the fifth round by the Bills in the 2020 NFL Draft. Tate, Tate Martell, Martell started at Ohio uh, State, transferred to, to Miami, Miami, transferred to UNLV. Yeah. Season two, the quarterbacks featured Justin Fields, yep. Sam Hartman, Rayel Mitchell. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize
3: this, Sam Hartman. Yeah, Rayel like,
1: Mitchell I, committed to Iowa State subsequently transferred to Temple, and then later to San Diego. Justin Fields committed to Georgia during the show, subsequently transferred to Ohio State, and then was a first-round pick in the 2021 draft by the Chicago Bears. And then Sam Hartman is still currently the quarterback for Wake Forest. We did learn some news about him today, that he's going to be out indefinitely with an undisclosed medical illness. So our thoughts and prayers are with him. But uh, through two seasons... We've had some pretty big names at quarterback.
3: Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I totally forgot that Sam Hartman was on QB one, and I met him last fall because you know I told yeah. you Miles used to play, played at Wake Forest. He's a really cool dude, and I, uh, when I saw that news, uh, today I really yeah. hate to hate that for him. He's a but, Charlotte,
1: North Carolina native, so yeah, all those people yeah, are really, really
3: cool, really, really.
1: <laughs> and then uh, season three: Lance Legend, Spencer Rattler, and Nick Scalzo. Oh. Lance committed to Maryland, then transferred to Louisiana. Spencer Rattler committed to Oklahoma, transferred to South Carolina. Nick Scalzo committed to Kentucky, and then transferred to the Sanford Bulldogs. So that show has had nine high school quarterbacks mm-hmm. featured, and seven of them transferred.
3: Yeah, yeah. We Ooh. talked
1: the other day about all these transfer quarterbacks in the sport, man. and here's just this random Netflix series that picked nine high school quarterbacks yeah. and seven I mean, of them have transferred. transferred.
3: That's pretty crazy, but uh yeah, I mean all of them were obviously pretty talented guys. Tate Martel um, had a had a pretty um bit had some real hype coming into it with with Ohio State, but I mean with all the talent that they, you know, bring in especially at the quarterback position he really had no choice but to transfer yeah. um and then even at Miami things just didn't work out he he competed for the quarterback position and or for the you know QB1 spot didn't get it um and i mean he's just kind of had a rough go of yeah. it um but Jake Fromm success story relatively i mean you know he's in the league um as obviously as Justin Fields he's a starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears so yeah yeah I, I mean it was a good show definitely a quality show i i'm not sure why they canceled it. Probably because of all the exposure and right. all that with the high school athletes. But, yeah, I mean, definitely a good show. And Spencer Rattler now is featured <coughs> Yeah, um, with South Carolina. No kidding. So, yeah. No kidding.
1: Just wanted to put a bow on that discussion yeah. that we were having a little bit earlier. It's been a fun show so far. If you missed any of that, again, find it later after our show is finished on the Sports Call Podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. All right, let's have some fun. It's Wacky Wednesday. We started doing this a few weeks ago. Um, Wacky Wednesday, a few months ago at this point. But every now and again, we've got new stories that we want to entertain you with. Tom Peavy does the research. And um, Tom, you ready to rock and roll today? Absolutely. All right. What do we got here? I thought I had some music. We'll get you some music. music. We'll get you some music.
4: (laughs) All right. So, uh, yeah. So, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. And that's what uh, these stories are. Uh, And so, yeah, we'll get started with a little short one here. At the height of World War I in 1918, British soldier Henry Tandy found himself stationed in a trench on the front lines in northern France. By this time, Tandy was already a highly decorated war hero, and he would go on to become the most decorated British soldier in World War I. Unfortunately, Tandy's awards are not what he became most famous for. On September 28th of that year, Tandy was in his trench after a long day of heavy fighting. He was propped up on the edge of a trench looking out in the direction of the German lines. It was dark, quiet, and foggy, but suddenly Tandy noticed a figure coming toward him through the fog. Tandy raised his weapon into the firing position, but he didn't fire. He needed to identify this person before he shot because he knew it could be a wounded friendly making their way back to the trenches for safety. With his rifle raised, Tandy kept watching the figure approach and eventually out of the fog stepped a badly wounded and unarmed German soldier. But Tandy didn't fire. He recognized the soldier had no weapon, plus the soldier appeared to not even realize he was walking straight toward the British lines. Finally, the German soldier got to within 30 meters of the British trench, stopped, looked up, and realized his mistake as he saw Tandy's rifle pointed directly at him. The German soldier didn't run. He simply resigned himself that he was about to die at that very moment. Tandy had shot plenty of enemy soldiers at that point but he could not bring himself to shoot this injured unarmed and pathetic-looking soldier so Tandy lowered so Tandy glanced to his left then to his right to make sure no one was looking he lowered his rifle and the two men stared at each other until the german soldier gave a nod of thanks turned around and vanished back into the fog the man tandy saved that day was adolf hitler
3: Wow. <laughs> what?
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: wow.
3: Boo. I kinda
2: felt like this was going that direction. But I was like, you can't just like make that guess. Isn't it? If it's not that uh, guess you look, look kinda stupid. Yeah. But Sure enough. Wow. Sure Maybe enough. You would have thought <laughs> that would have mo- been a uh, lesson that uh yeah. that man would have learned to the most, better the world. The and, most uh, it <laughs> went the complete yeah. opposite direction. The,
4: the opposite. most decorated soldier in World War One for the British had Adolf, Adolf Hitler, Hitler in his cross right but he did obviously that was World War one so he had no idea of what the future held but still Ew. yeah Man. <laughs> wow yeah all right here we go in the spring of 2021 52 year old Texas resident Karen Davis whoa intense <laughs> I just I don't know that was the music I was looking for earlier there we it just go. took a
1: second to load. we're good
4: Uh-oh. In the spring of 2021, 52-year-old Texas resident Karen Davis got married. After the wedding and the honeymoon, Karen began the process to get her last name changed from Davis to McBride, the last name of her new husband. The final step for Karen was to get a new driver's license with her new last name, so she emailed her local Department of Motor Vehicles to set up a time for her to come in and handle this license change. But the DMV immediately sent Karen a response, saying they could not process Karen's request until she resolved an issue. The DMV did not specify what this issue was, but the indication was Karen had an issue in Oklahoma she needed to take care of. At the bottom of the email was a phone number Karen would have to call to have her issues fixed. Karen thought this was really strange, but she did used to live in Oklahoma, so maybe there was some paperwork issue or something. So Karen dialed up the number the DMV had provided at the bottom of the email. After it rang a few times, Karen was stunned when the woman answering on the other end identified herself as working for the Norman, Oklahoma, District Attorney's Office. Karen figured there had to have been some mistake with this, but she began explaining her situation on how she was trying to rename her license and the DMV had given her this number to call. The woman from the DA's office had no idea who Karen was or what this whole situation was about, but after punching in Karen's information into her computer, she discovered what Karen's Oklahoma problem was. And this was a real big problem. And after the woman explained what this problem was, so many questions from Karen's life began to be answered. For the past 22 years, Karen had struggled to find steady work. Despite being very smart and very qualified, every time she applied for a job, she was turned down. And in the time she was hired, she was suddenly fired with no reason given to her. She never could understand what was wrong with her and why she could not find long-time work until now it turns out that 22 years ago when Karen was living in Norman Oklahoma she lived with a roommate a young man who had two children one weekend the roommate went to a local video store and rented the 90s movie hit Sabrina the Teenage Witch to watch with his kids after watching the movie the roommate did not return the video to the store normally when this happens the video store would begin hitting the cardholder with late fees for unreturned tapes and if the cardholder never returned the tapes, the cardholder would be hit with a final fee that basically was the cost of the VHS tape. At this point, the cardholder of the delinquent video, now on the video, uh, had incurred numerous late fees in the final cost of tape fee, and the video company moved on from this. But in this case, the movie rental company didn't think that was enough, so they pressed charges against the cardholder. And the cardholder was Karen Davis. The roommate had simply borrowed Karen's card for the purchase, and somehow these charges were never brought to Karen's attention. She was never contacted by anyone, so for 22 years, technically, Karen was a wanted felon. This meant that every time Karen went for a job, whether it being in the hiring process or after being hired and the employer did a criminal background check, it would show that Karen was wanted for felony embezzlement. Once this information was finally revealed to Karen, she worked with the Norman, Oklahoma DA's office, and eventually got all the charges against her dropped.
1: Man, oh man. Good well, unfortunate. 20, Over Sabrina the Teenage Witch 20, all
4: 22 years, she was wanted for felony <laughs> <Yeah>. embezzlement <laughs> and had no idea.
1: <laughs> Over a rental movie? For a movie?
4: A oh, uh, movie
2: room. Oh. That's awful. Everyone, that's a calamity of errors right <laughs> yeah. there. I mean. Yeah. I, I don't know you know, letting probably letting someone borrow the card you know is a well, yeah. bit of a strategy there, um, but then not double checking, make sure that roommate turned turn it back in, turned the movie back in. I and guess you just don't even think then about then it. Nobody back, back in those
4: reaching days, reaching out to yeah. say hey, you haven't turned
3: in this movie. Yeah.
4: Yeah, we're just gonna press charges.
3: Yeah, we're just gonna <laughs> yeah. we're just gonna charge wow. you with
1: embezzlement for and... twenty two years. 22 years for 22 years man
3: wanted felon
1: yeah we're off to a good start and we've got a few more stories to go yep we're gonna take a quick time out when we come back we'll continue here on this wednesday at a show sports good stories coming up the good ones coming up next tiger 95.9 fm
0: Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Sports Call can now be heard on Amazon Alexa devices. Open the Alexa app on your iPhone or Android and tap the menu icon at the top left. Tap Skills and Games in the menu and search for Sports Call Auburn. Select the skill, then tap Enable to Use, and you're done. All you have to do now is say, Hey Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn, and you're listening to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan LeVoy, and Cam Berry on what is now a Wacky Wednesday. Here we are, August 10th, 2022. And Tom, we called this series what?
4: Uh, Truth is Stranger Than Fiction.
1: Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. No. And again, for folks that want a little bit more of this, there's a YouTube page, is that what it is, that kind of aggregates a lot of these <clears throat> kind of Yeah, a lot
4: lot of these stories um some some of these you know i i research and and find in different areas but there is a youtube there's a youtuber a former navy seal named mr ballin uh b-a-l-l-e-n uh and he has a whole series on truth is stranger than fiction and man some of the stories on there are just absolutely incredible a lot of them are things that i can't read on the air because they involve pictures It, it was it's like uh or videos where it's uh they will tell a story, and then they have the picture or video that kind of backs up what happened with the story. It be a little hard and, for us to pull that yeah, off here, wouldn't uh, it? <laughs> but uh, an incredible channel there. And I do I do find a lot of these on his channel and uh, find them in other areas, too. Uh, a lot of this uh, I- inspiration for this is also the old uh, Paul Harvey show from back in the day, the rest of the story. Uh, so uh, that's, that's, that's kind of what inspired this whole deal. And so, yeah. Put, put some weird stories together to share with you that uh, most folks don't know. And, uh, like, you know, before the break, we talked about uh, World War I with uh, 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 Henry Tandy. I almost said William. Henry Tandy, the most decorated soldier, uh, had a uh, wounded German soldier, uh, most decorated British soldier, had a wounded German soldier in his uh, crosshairs and didn't fire on him because he was uninjured and let him go away. And that guy ended up being Adolf Hitler. Uh, and then, uh, the last was, uh, Karen Davis, 52 year old woman that spent 22 two, 22 years of her life wanted for embezzlement. And she had no idea uh, why she kept getting fired and all these kind of things. So, yeah, here we go. We're going to
1: dive back into it. We've got more yes, of sir. these. Sometimes uh, right.
4: truth is stranger than fiction. That's right. All right, here we go. Sylvester, not the cat. Sylvester was born on July the 5th, 1794 in Suffield, Connecticut. One of 17 kids, Sylvester's father, a minister, was 72 years old when he was born and his mother suffered from mental illness. Sylvester's father died when he was only two and he was forced to spend his childhood moving from one relative's house to another. One relative worked at a local tavern and Sylvester was put to work there. It was here that he first developed a dislike for what he considered sinful behavior and after taking on several menial jobs, Sylvester, now in his 20s, decided to become a minister just like his father and grandfather. Sylvester found great joy in the ministry and developed a a devout following. Among the many religious points he preached, in particular, he focused on the dangers of what you put into your body and do to your body. From his time working in a tavern, Sylvester certainly viewed any sorts of alcohol consumption as bad, but growing up as one of 17 kids, He was also against any forms of birth control, and that included any forms of self-gratification. That's right, Sylvester, the minister, felt that one of the quickest ways for young boys to find themselves on a dangerous path towards damnation was if they dared tame their snake. He even went on to write a book about it called Own Self Abuse. It became a bestseller during the great masturbation scare that took hold during the early parts of the 19th century and Sylvester's preachings were backed up by other ministers and leading doctors of the time who felt pleasuring oneself were leading causes of insanity, sterility, and a host of other medical conditions, including blindness. Part of Sylvester's beliefs in combating this dangerous behavior was focusing on the foods that we eat. It began with avoiding pork and developed into a full vegetarian belief system. Then the focus began on desserts, which he believed led to lustful desires due to the processed sugars and flour in cakes and cookies. Basically, Sylvester believed and preached that anything that tasted good was a surefire way to have young boys running wild in the streets, robbing, shooting, and prematurely spreading their seed in unsavory ways. With this, Sylvester developed a new food consisting of only pure water and coarse wheat flour. A cracker completely void of taste and nearly impossible to chew all with the goal of promoting a food source that would stop any and all temptations, especially with young boys. And anxious mothers around the country bought these tasteless crackers in the case in hopes their sons wouldn't fall prey to the sinful acts of spanking the monkey. Sylvester's dietary preachings caught the eye of many around the country, including a man by the name of John Harvey, who was a doctor, nutritionist, and founder of the famed Battle Creek Sanitarium. But despite, Silver, but despite Sylvester's strict vegetarian and minimal, minimalistic diet, in 1851, he ultimately passed away at the rather young age of 57. But his bland, tasteless cracker would live on. In 1898, so 47 years after Sylvester passed away, the National Biscuit Company, Nabisco as we know it, bought the right to Sylvester's cracker. But they wouldn't keep it the same. Many of Sylvester's followers had distanced themselves from the movement after his death, and Nabisco jumped at the chance to enhance Sylvester's cracker. After all, Nabisco was more into the money-making business than preventing mass masturbation. So it would be by going completely against what Sylvester had preached, adding all the things he felt would lead young boys down the dangerous self-indulgent paths that including milking the banana. Processed sugars and flours were added along with spices like honey and cinnamon, The crackers became a sensation and a groundbreaking item in the culinary world. And while Nabisco radically changed Sylvester's initial food product, they did keep his name on it. Sylvester's cracker is still a staple today and is likely found in your pantry at this very moment. It's eaten as is, sometimes with peanut butter and sometimes crumbled into pie crust. But possibly the most famous way it is eaten is around a campfire. Yep. that's right anytime you take this tasty cracker and sandwich chocolate and marshmallows in between you can give a nod to Sylvester Graham yep the unknowing inventor of the current Graham cracker (laughs) oh and John Harvey the doctor and nutritionist at the Battle Creek sanitarium that was inspired by Sylvester's dietary teachings he took Sylvester Graham's bland mixture and along with his brother will found that if you rolled the dough out thin and bake it it came off in flakes it became a top food source for treatment of patients at the battle creek sanitarium before becoming a popular mainstream food item so if you've ever eaten a bowl of corn flakes you can also thank sylvester along with john harvey and will kellogg (laughs) good grief wow (laughs)
1: That one was great. You that all, was all over the place. Like,
2: when you said created food, okay, that's the moment where it's like, okay, this is going to be something we eat today. But it it always just gets so expansive, the connections there. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, that was a deep that was
1: great. one. That was all a deep the, one. Was... The analogies were goofy. They, I was, you know, and yeah, the fact tr- that here we are, <laughs> this... this Anti-masturbation Sylvester fella (laughs) whose anti-pleasure turns out to have the very pleasurable graham graham cracker. Yeah, graham crackers are busting. Heck yeah. I love
3: love a good s'more.
1: I love the pleasurable graham cracker.
4: (laughs) How little do you know about the food you eat?
1: Milk and the banana. The more you know.
4: All right, here we go. Let's get knocked this one What do we got? This one's a little long, so... I'm saving this one for last, but this is really good. Bet. All right. In 1950, the U.S. military was at war with North Korea. Shortly after the U.S. entered the Korean War, the U.S. government enacted a military draft for its non-military civilians. An 18-year-old nicknamed Sampson was living with his family in Seattle, Washington, when he learned he had been drafted. While military service had not been something Sampson planned for his future, the young man accepted his draft status and went to Fort Ord, California, for basic training. After training concluded, however, Sampson was not sent to Korea. Instead, he was ordered to stay at Fort Ord, where he would be a swimming instructor and lifeguard at the base's pool. At night and on the weekends, Sampson would also earn extra money as a bouncer at the NCO club on the base. A year later, Sampson decided to take some time off and head back to Seattle to see his family and his girlfriend. At the time, any any military service member could fly for free on any any military flight as long as they were in uniform. So Sampson put on his uniform, found a flight to Seattle, and left Fort Ord. A few days later, Sampson said his goodbyes to his family and his girlfriend and prepared to head back to Fort Ord. But when he got to the Seattle airport, he found there was only one plane heading to Fort Ord, and that plane was a single-seat World War II-era torpedo bomber. Samson was desperate to get back to Fort Ord that night because he had to work the following day. Samson also didn't have enough money to afford a commercial flight down to California. So Samson met with the pilot of the bomber, a lieutenant named Anderson, and asked if he could hitch a ride inside the plane's radar compartment. At first, Anderson said no, as this was a very dangerous place for a person to be. But Samson was so adamant that he had to get back to Fort Ord that Anderson finally gave in and allowed Samson to hitch a ride but shortly after takeoff, things went bad. First, the door to the radar compartment Samson was in came open. Samson fought desperately to get the door closed, but he was unsuccessful. At the height the plane would be flying, this would certainly be a death sentence as any oxygen being pumped into that compartment from the cockpit was being sucked out. Samson would eventually suffocate if he couldn't get that door closed. Samson also had no way to communicate his dire situation with Anderson since they were in separate parts of the plane. However, Samson wasn't the only person in trouble. Anderson was dealing with several situations of his own. As they flew down the west coast, out over the Pacific, Anderson realized he had made a terrible mistake and didn't have enough fuel to reach Fort Ord. He also didn't have enough fuel to return to Seattle. Oh, no. Anderson began radioing nearby airports but had no response. At the same time, Anderson, too, began losing oxygen in the cockpit, something that had nothing to do with Samson's door coming open in the radar compartment. Losing oxygen, Anderson put the plane in a steep dive toward the ocean in order to get the, to a lower alt- altitude. Anderson got the plane to a safe altitude, saving himself and the plane, but also unknowingly saving, Samson, the, uh, saving giving Samson the desperate oxygen he needed to survive. But the fuel problem became the biggest issue, and Anderson was forced to land his plane in the Pacific Ocean with Samson on board. Samson saw that the plane was going down and braced himself to a solid piece of the plane inside his tiny little compartment for the impact. Samson survived the impact into the ocean, but now freezing water was rushing into the open compartment where Samson was at. Samson could not swim out due to the rushing water, so he had to wait for the compartment to completely fill before swimming out and up to the water's surface. On the surface, Samson faced rough seas and foggy conditions. He was able to see Anderson climb from the cockpit and linked up with him, and the two pulled two life rafts from the plane and inflated them. But now, in the life rafts, the two had no idea in which way they needed to go to find shore, as fog prevented any sort of navigation. The two men are swimming as fast as they can to the east. Uh, yeah, the two men are swimming as fast as they can to the east, but the fog continued to thicken and no land came into sight, and it eventually it got dark. When it got dark, the seas got even rougher. At one point, Samson was thrown from his life raft. Samson tried to swim back to his raft, but the rough waters pushed his raft uh, out of reach. Anderson tried to reach Samson in his raft, but the currents were too strong, and eventually, Anderson and his raft vanished into the dark fog. Samson was now all alone in shark infested waters at night, in the fog, with no compass, but not being one to give up, Samson picked a direction he thought was east and began swimming. Amazingly, after about an hour of swimming, Samson broke through the fog and was able to see a light on what appeared to be the shore in the distance. Samson began... (laughs) Almost there. Almost there. Samson began swimming as hard as he could to reach this light, sometimes even being pulled under by the rip currents, but he eventually reached land at Point Reyes in California. It's estimated Samson swam about two miles through the dark seas to reach land. And once he reached land, Samson collapsed onto the beach. He had very little energy left, and if he had been in the water much longer, he would have surely drowned. Unable to stand, Samson began crawling his way towards this light, which turned out to be a light on a building being used by a radio station. Samson crawled and crawled and eventually made it to the steps of this radio station. Hyperthermic and exhausted, Samson found enough energy to get up to the steps and began pounding on the door of this building, and fortunately someone was inside. The employees pulled Sampson in, wrapped him in blankets, and called a nearby Coast Guard station. The Coast Guard sent a group to get Sampson, and they took him to the Coast Guard station where he was able to receive the medical treatment he needed to save his life. It was also at the Coast Guard station where he was reunited with Anderson, who had also made his way to shore. Both men were able to make full recoveries. Sampson went on to serve two more years in the Army, all as a lifeguard at the Fort Ord, In 1953, after the Korean War ended, Sampson's mandatory service ended and he was honorably discharged. While at Fort Ord, Sampson had befriended a fellow soldier who had connections in Hollywood. Through these connections, Sampson eventually was offered the chance to audition. Sampson decided to look into this opportunity, but the auditions didn't go well. He continued trying the acting gig for several more years, but was only getting small, uncredited parts. He was also criticized by directors for being too stiff and having too little knowledge of the arts of acting. But Samson kept trying, and eventually got the breakout role he had long sought in 1958 on the CBS hour-long Western series, Rawhide. This breakthrough role jump-started an amazing acting and directing career that is still going today. Four Academy Award wins and 11 nominations, Samson became one of the greatest actors and directors of all time after surviving a plane crash and a two mile swim through freezing shark infested waters as a 21 year old army lifeguard. And while the name Samson may not ring a bell, as it was the nickname he was given at birth, you might know him better as Clint Eastwood.
1: Clint Eastwood. Wow.
3: Never would have thought about that one. Never hey. would have thought that one. That's interesting. I knew he was going to come on and become yeah, something. He, I didn't he, know if he'd be oh, a Hollywood That's
1: or. a heroic <laughs> story, you know? Uh. That's amazing.
4: Crash landed in the ocean. Swim. Two miles. Two miles through shark infested said When you water. said
1: stiff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see, yeah. There
4: that's crazy.
1: Yeah. He kept fighting. That's right. He kept fighting. I'm not going down.
4: Well, and it, but the other thing is he would have died inside the uh radar compartment right. of that plane had this stuff not happened with the to pile Anderson in. yeah cuz the door came open and they were at a height that he couldn't get oxygen and so he was basically going to die in this radar compartment until these weird things happened up in the cockpit that forced him to come down towards uh uh towards a uh, altitude where he could get oxygen
1: These stories are remarkable yeah like i just feel like they're not like at some point going to be like eh we're not going to be able to find any more oh no there's always stories we do. out there always and yet we do there
4: like there's always stories sure. out there
1: another great day truth is stranger than fiction how about that four great stories tom thanks for all the reading today man Whew, that's the that biggest challenge in all of this.
4: Uh, yeah, and, and after you read a bunch of those, on, on I've got my little scripts right here, and you get about halfway through them, and everything Your starts eyes like are going crazy. You're like, oh my yeah. gosh, trying to yeah. keep up with it.
1: It's like a timeout. Our nightly TV guys. After this,
0: all of the biggest names in the sports world want to be on Sports Call.
1: We are very excited to be joined by ESPN's Adam Amin. Bring on a very special guest, a good friend of the program, a former host of this very show, and the current voice of the Auburn Tigers, the one and only Andy Burcham. We get the opportunity to welcome in Mr. Phil Steele into our program. Be sure to listen to our
0: conversations with athletes, coaches, and media personalities on the Sports Call podcast. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at SportsCallAuburn.com.
1: All right, we wrap up today's edition of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show here today, Tiger 95.9 FM, or on the Tiger Communications app. If you're listening to us on the Sports Call podcast, thank you. You have reached the end of another edition of the show today. When you're done listening to the podcast, if you'll go to our page and type out a five star rating and written review, That means the absolute world. Thanks for making us your first listen in the podcast world each and every day. And again, those written reviews, they're so great for the algorithms and it helps our show be found a lot easier so that we can continue to grow the reach of this very sports talk show. All right, we do this each and every day as we come to the end of another edition of Sports Call. It's time that I present to you our Sports Call nightly TV guide. Here we go. Our
0: show is about to end but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide.
1: Our Nightly TV Guide is brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Stop by your local TK's convenience store, pick up a variety pack of White Claw today. You won't regret it. Trust me, make sure you take the time to do that. All right, Wednesday. What's on TV tonight? Here we go. Little League Baseball, the Metro Regional at 6 o'clock on ESPN2. That has been so much fun for us to watch in the office. Uh, tonight, the Braves and the Red Sox. 6'10, Vaughn Grissom. Haven't talked about it today. Making his big league no. debut at second base for Atlanta. 6'15 on sci fi. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is going to be outstanding. Make sure you watch that movie. I enjoy it. It's coming up at 6'15. On Sci-Fi 6.30 on FXM, Talladega Nights. Hilarious movie. Will Ferrell, John C. Riley back together. Check that one out. And then finally, tonight, Major League Baseball, the Chicago White Sox at the Kansas City Royals at 7 o'clock on FS1 and at Kansas City. There's an asterisk there because this is their Field of Dreams game. It's not actually going to be played at Kauffman Stadium, but they did this last year, and Tim Anderson for the White Sox hit a walk-off home run when this took place.
4: Yeah, so, that was awesome. An I remember epic that. epic moment. So they're back in the cornfield.
1: They're back in the cornfield. And yeah. actually, now that I'm saying that, I think it's actually tomorrow that they're playing this game with the uh, Cubs and the Reds. So it's coming up tomorrow on your TV, guys. <laughs> Bear with me. Tonight on FS1, I guess they will play that game uh, from uh, Kansas City. i got to confirm this now. I'm doubting myself. Yeah.
4: So uh, the Talladega Nights, uh, I met Will Ferrell in Talladega. Uh, It was after the filming of Talladega Nights, he made a return trip, and I just happened to be there working for the OA News, and he came into the media center, did a a whole little press conference about uh, the movie and just being back at Talladega, and so I got to interview him and meet Will Ferrell. He's pretty funny.
1: I'm absolutely terrible. It is tomorrow. August 11th. Tomorrow's game between the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds. That. Is your field of dreams game okay, guys? I don't, I don't know. I what, need a break.
4: I don't know what's worse that or the lobbed pitches or bowling pitches that you made last yeah, night. Yeah, I
1: didn't do a great job at that either, did <laughs> I? <Yeah>.
4: You didn't get <laughs> up any home runs. Though. I didn't. No, none no of home them.
1: Run. We just got to find a way to win some. I games. just like the fact you maybe left,
4: one day you threw the one pitch and you just went, "Oh my god!" As soon as it left the hands, I was like,
1: <laughs> "That's not good." I couldn't yeah. hear that. No. I, I uh, couldn't hear that either. Oh,
4: I heard as soon as it left his hand, JJ went, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Tom, thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Yeah, man. Enjoyed it. Ryan and Cam, you guys are great. See you soon. See you. Yes, tomorrow. Sir. That does it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening to Albert's first and Albert's favorite sports talk show. Thanks again to Hale McGranahan and Bo Estes for joining us on the program. Alongside Ryan the boy, Cam Barry and Tom Peavy, my name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.